and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Brenda Denbeston, it is fantastic to have you on She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for agreeing for that. Hello, Jules. Lovely to be talking with you today. It's my absolute pleasure to hear your story. I can't wait to share it. So let's just start with, do you want to tell everybody what you are doing now? Yes, certainly. So I'm a chemical engineer with uh, a 15 years experience in the mining and manufacturing industry. Ooh. I am also coaching women who are struggling to get ahead in male dominated STEM industries, which is probably pretty much most of those, <laughs> and um, really helping them get clear about their potential and how they can leverage that in the workplace. Oh, well, I'm so pleased to have you here. I love all these women. Well, all these women, but there's been quite a few of you that have been in oil and gas and energy, and it's just such a male-dominated sector. It's really nice to sort of um, have some women that we can sort of share your story. Okay, so um, – Let's go back. I think I want to know all about how your career has evolved. So, and your life really, so because I'm incredibly nosy. So, let's go <laughs> back to I don't know when Brenda was a little girl. Where did you grow up? And what size family did you have? So, I grew up in Zimbabwe. So, essentially at the south of Africa, yeah. right next to South Africa actually, is a little town called Zimbabwe and I was from a small little place called Rishavani. And right. it's a small little mining town. In fact, they mine asbestos over there, the good kind. I don't know what you're talking about. Is you there a good kind of blue. asbestos? I didn't know there was it a, good a good kind. There is a good kind. <laughs> there was a good kind, and that's the one that was mined over there. Right. Um, so I had a, doc- a dad who was a doctor in the okay. little town and a mom who was pretty much an entrepreneur. Wow. And, what did um, your mom do? <laughs> I think a better question would be what didn't she do? Oh, so really? she had multiple um, supermarkets that she ran. She had a butcher and a bakery that um, oh fed God. into that. She has currently, she's running a little gold mine on off a, a little plot of, of a farm that she's got a bit of land that used to be mined by the Germans back in the sixties. Oh my God. She, <laughs> so sounds she is amazing. working through the tailings of that. Yeah. She's quite a trailblazer. She yeah. pretty much put a mind to anything and was a go-getter. So really instilled a few principles yeah, what in great, our lives. What a great role model for you. So, <laughs> So, and obviously taught you that there was no barriers to anything. You can just do what you want, which we love. Certainly, certainly. So, the favorite thing was don't wait 30 days for someone to pay you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with her. I'm always trying to get them to pay up front. Okay. So, um, big family, small family. Do you have lots of brothers um, and sisters? Probably medium family. I've got two brothers and a sister. Right. Um, two older brothers. I'm number three and a younger sister. Mm-hmm. And we all went to boarding school as um, young kids. So, I went to boarding school at the age of eight. So did I. Oh my God, there's hardly any. Really? Was it? Yes, I did. My parents lived in Germany and I went to boarding school in England. Where did you go to boarding school? I went to boarding school in Zimbabwe still. Um, yeah. It was probably a British boarding school. Um, in Bulawayo was the the, the, the the boarding school when I was in primary and then there's another one in high school in another little town called Marondera. Hang on, so the one school for primary, primary. school. Yes, yes. Right. <laughs> so that was mm, about an hour and a half away from where we lived. So there'd be a little bus that would take us up on Monday morning and then bring us back down on Friday afternoon, right. spend the weekend with the parents. And then once I was at high school, that was about mm, probably four and a half, five hours away from where I lived. So we'd spend three weeks over there and then come home after on the weekend or the third nice weekend. Nice that you could go home though. I, I got to go home about twice a year. <laughs> uh, all those weekends <laughs> at school were not much fun at all. I was very jealous of my brothers at home. So, it's intense, um, isn't it? Okay, so you, you went to boarding school right the way through. Did you know what you wanted to do from a young age? No, and I think it probably flip-flopped a little bit here and there. By the time I got to 18, I had studied physics, chemistry, and maths, and I knew I didn't want to become a doctor like my dad, and my oldest brother is actually a doctor as well. Okay. Um, My dad always said none of you would be – none of you could concentrate for long enough to do the six years of training. (laughs) And we all went, oh, okay, right, no, we won't. (laughs) We're like, what what else is there? (laughs) What can get us out of school quickly? Um, So a few of the girls in my class, I asked them what they were doing. And one of them said she was going to be a chemical engineer. 
And I sort of said, what's that? And she said, you can make your own products. You can run factories, manufacture things, and it's really cool. So I thought, wow, I want to do that. I want to... One thing that came to my mind was L'Oreal. I'm not sure if it was because of their ads, you know, L'Oreal, because (laughs) you're worth it. I just thought, wow, that would be awesome. I could make products like L'Oreal and And lipstick and 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 that makes people feel good. I was going to go, and as I know nothing about um, chemical engineering, tell me a bit more. So, So you decided that you wanted to do it from a young age. Did you have to go to uni to do it? Yes. So essentially at 18, people are getting asked, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And that's why I sort of had to decide right there and then. And it was quite common to get out of Zimbabwe for university simply because our local universities didn't um, have much of that depth in their degrees. And so it was common to go to South Africa, England, America, Australia. So I applied to come to an Australian university. Why? Um, Why why Australia of all places? (laughs) Couldn't have been high on your radar in Zimbabwe, surely. It wasn't too high, but a lot of Zimbabweans were coming to Australia at the time and probably still are. I applied to one in America, which I was really keen to get to, but the Australian universities were the quickest to respond. And my parents wanted me to just grab the opportunity that was available. Um, so in Melbourne, in Australia, I'd actually applied to the University of Melbourne, I think Geelong University as well, and University of Newcastle. And University of Newcastle was the first to respond out of those three. And essentially, we just pressed go and, you know, completed so the you applications and made 18? a way to get over here. Right. Age, so age of 18, on your own packing at a bag by myself. <laughs> yes. God, were you um, a bit nervous? Flew on the airplane and arrived in Sydney unaware of what was going to <laughs> be waiting for me. So what was it like? So, I mean, as a young girl coming from Zimbabwe for the first time, what was your experience Probably quite like? a lot of culture shock. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I remember that first trip when I um, got on the – it was a, it was a combi, like a, a high ace, a, t- a, yeah. a little – Oh, a little trip that took us from mover. the airport to Newcastle, and they we arrived late at night. It must have been a six pm arrival, so I got to Newcastle around maybe eight o'clock or something. And the first thing I remember seeing was these big cockroaches. <laughs> I was shocked. Like I saw them cruising around. The, I think they dropped us at a bus stop because we were spending the first two nights at a backpackers before right. our accommodation or before we started figuring out where we we're going to live, essentially. And yeah, I saw these massive cockroaches and I was like, oh my gosh, like I was so scared. I was like, what are these big insects? Like, have I really left <laughs> the comfort of my home? So to they come don't to this have place? cockroaches in Zimbabwe? In Zimbabwe? <laughs> Not that size. No. no. Well, I don't think, I, th- I always feel like the further north you go, the more that um, the insects become like wildlife up there. I mean, the sp- size of the spiders as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that was, that was probably the first shock. The next day when I took a bus to the new Castle University, I was shocked um, with the kids that were on the bus. A lot of them were swearing. A lot of them were just, just feel, felt untethered. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is not what we used to do <laughs> to my little Whether you'd be wrapped on the knuckles and told, you know, do what you're told. Yes, yes. So I was yeah. just like, okay, this is a bit different. This is a bit different. But slowly I settled in. I found that the people were very welcoming, very open, made some connections. And before you knew it, I had a little family that um, became my second home, I suppose, and my second um, connections here in Australia. <laughs> oh, great. So, so this is a circle of friends or was the, were you actually staying with a family with a mother and father um, and children? No. So there was three other people that were on that airplane that had come from um, Zimbabwe. Ah, they had used the right. same agency as I had used to come over to Australia, but mm-hmm. I had never met them before. And the agency had arranged for us to all share a house together. So I suppose right. I knew those people <laughs> and became very close with them in the years to come. But um, at, at, at campus, there was a little um, campus Christian college that was there. And I joined their little campus um, group, which they had barbecues, free barbecues. That was one thing that I, yeah. I found was really amazing. <laughs> All the free stuff that I found at a, in Australia was so surprising because there's not a lot of things that are free in Zimbabwe. And right. also just the um, the level of, what's it called, trust, I suppose. So when you go in a shop and you can just open the, you know, the, the drink, the fridge oh, yes. and get, grab some drinks. Yes, <laughs> I was like, why is this behind, behind the counter? <laughs> there's yeah, a lot of trust right. here. <laughs> so those sort of things are little small nuances that I noticed. 
but yes, those um, that campus group really had a group, a, a large group of people that were part of that that club. They went to the same church on the weekends. They had events during the week. So I was just like, oh, these guys are really cool. Let me hang out with them, and that became my little second family. Right. So okay. So what did you do when you finished in Newcastle? Because you obviously decided to stay rather than go back. Yes. Yes. Firstly. Yes. How so, was that decision? Hmm. Actually, I haven't really reassessed that decision <laughs> more recently. But I mean, when we got to the third year, you have an internship where essentially yeah. you have to decide, you know, what are you going to get your experience in? There was no L'Oreal to be seen. There was no pharmaceuticals, oh, no cosmetic, cosmetic manufacturers. It was just mining, water and food. I was like, okay, let's, you know, I've come from a mining town. Let's see what this is all about. And I got in there and it was really exciting. Yes, male dominated. Yes, my PPE probably didn't fit me the best. But I was, there was something really fascinating about turning dirt into gold. And I was like, this is really cool. <laughs> so oh God, I love the way you describe it. <laughs> yeah, because literally as a metallurgist, which is what chemical engineers do in the mine process, in the mine processing, um, the processing of a mine is the yeah. geologists dig up all the dirt, the trucks bring it all to the processing side, and us chemical engineers manage the process, add acid, oh. change temperatures, strip out the good stuff, and then put it in a, a kiln, and you get that gold bullion out. So, and it so was really it actually cool. was a gold mine. Yes, it was a gold mine. Um, I saw my first, you know gold bar at that point in time. And I was like, wow, like this is really cool. And my role in that um, internship was to increase the recovery of gold. So essentially change the, the, the ingredients that we use to, you know, to get the gold out. So Buying increase the acid, reduce the <laughs> temperatures. <laughs> so that right. was so fascinating. I was like, wow. Um, and it, it, it actually caused an increase in their recovery. So that was really satisfying knowing that, you know, switching a few things, looking at data points could result in something that's so useful in our everyday life. I mean, jewelry is so cool and, you know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> currency, everything. So I just thought this is really fascinating. Right. And that was your first job. That was my first job. I um, got a job with BHP. They had a little technology center that was outside of the University of Newcastle. And they were seeking students to run their little pilot plant. They had like three shifts, eight-hour shifts that ran 24 hours a day. And, yeah, we were able to mix in that shift with our uni studies. So that was really handy in my final year of university. I spent about eight months working there just getting that um, additional experience. And then where did you go to after that? This is just so fascinating, Brenda. I'm loving this. <laughs> yes. So after this, I got a job with the Australian federal government. This was really, really exciting. Working at their nuclear heights facility in um, Lucas Heights, Sydney. Right. So as they've got a division called Ansto Minerals. And essentially what they do there is they get – small bags or samples from the big mine sites, which again, did what I was doing in my internship. Tell us if we can increase our recoveries. Tell us if we can reduce waste. Tell us how we can, you know, is this even feasible? Can we actually get anything out of this rock? So some, some mines were established somewhere at the beginning of their journey. And essentially we ran small, little, much, much smaller scale (laughs) plants. So probably on a, you think like a, you know, maybe three kitchen benches worth of um, space, you know, setting up some beakers, setting up some pumps, setting up some mixes and, you know, getting your stopwatch out and doing the test work and getting the analysis done on that, those samples and really writing a report mm. afterwards to say, yep, you're good to go. If you increase your, you know, reagents like this, like that, if you drop this, drop that, you're able to get a 3% increase in your recoveries. So wow, that was lovely. Wow, fascinating. <laughs> yes. So, and so, Go on. So was that only a short time role? Was that only uh, able to be for a short time or you were only there? No, I was a full-time employee from 2007 to 2011. And yes, working with the government was really fun. You know, you've got the seven hours and 21 minutes um, (laughs) work days. So really getting that balance, that that work-life balance is nice. Being in Sydney, obviously, all the the bright city lights that I wasn't used to having come from, you know, Zimbabwe and then been in Newcastle, which is fairly low-key compared to Sydney. So I really enjoyed the shopping and the the nightlife that was available there and really just connecting with friends again in in Sydney. But um, I found the fourth year, about 2011, I was really wanting to try something new. I was itching to get back onto the big mine sites, get back onto, you know, the bigger 
machine. So were you eyeing, <laughs> eyeing off sort of North Queensland or WA, those kind of really big yes, mines? Yes, those sort of operations. So right, and my, so what happened? I kept and my hang on a minute. Guy on. What about your family? Did you go back to see them? <laughs> yes, so I definitely went back to see them the first year that I was in, in Australia. I told them that everything is fine. <laughs> I'm safe. School is great. You know, I've got a good set of friends. I think my parents were really quite comfortable that I was in good hands and that I was have taking care of Have they ever come myself. over here to visit you? They have come over a number of times now, namely like key milestone events such as my graduation. I've got a brother who lived in Perth, like he did his university in Perth oh, at Curtin. Okay. So they went to his graduation. So they were sort of here for our key events, weddings, um, you know, births of kids, etc. So they've been here probably five or six times um, oh, over the course of the ooh, 16 years or is it 16? Probably 19. So, I came in 2003. So what are we doesn't now? Doesn't time fly. <laughs> yeah. Was, well, so that was when I set up my hand to your own PR business. So that is uh, 18 years ago. Yeah, far out. So I yeah. know, incredible. <laughs> okay, so um, so you've been working with the federal government. You're looking for a bigger mine. What happened then? Now, an opportunity came up in a little town called Roxby Downs. It's in <laughs> South Australia. <laughs> I know that name. 540 kilometers north of Adelaide. So mm-hmm. I thought, ooh, this looks good. Like the, the pay looked very enticing. <laughs> and I had, had a metallurgist against it, and that's what I was doing at my current role. So I thought, oh, this sounds good. So I um, put my foot in the door, went over there, was flown over for an interview. And let's just say I was shocked. <laughs> the red dirt, like it's in, a, it's in the outback of, of South Australia. Yeah. Red dirt, middle of nowhere, about 5,000 people. No red people. dirt in Zimbabwe. What was that, sorry? Is there, is there no red dirt in Zimbabwe? No. <laughs> oh, right. Not okay. that I've seen, not like that, no. <laughs> so right. uh, that was very different. That was the first thing I noticed. Um, I believe it was summer, and in summer the flies are also ridiculous. They, like the moment you step yeah. out of the aeroplane, it's like onto you, and you don't, you swat them away, they don't leave. I was like, what type of place is this? <laughs> but... <laughs> But when I went in and had the discussion and, you know, was successful in the interview, I just thought, woohoo, let's do this. Let's, 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 let's make a move. They, they had a relocation package involved. So they were going to move my car up there. They sent people to my house to pack it up. So it was pretty wow. like effortless. So I thought this is really good. <laughs> and this, at this stage, you're, you're on your own still. There's no partner still or on my any. Own. I had left a okay. significant other probably in my uni days. So in Sydney, there wasn't a partner that I'd left at that time. Okay, so you headed over to Roxby Downs. Yes, yes. And what were, what were you doing there? Um, in Roxby Downs, I was working in the hydrometallurgical side. So there's a few sections. So this is a copper, uranium, gold, and silver mine. Right. Copper and uranium are their main products. Some of the first half of my um, – tenure there. So I suppose I was there for five years. The first right. role I had was at the, the middle, the second piece of the process. So once I did that, really exciting. My job was around investigating again, similarly, why haven't we made our targets? Why have we had a big spike in pH today? Like what's happened to the ore? What's changed in the feedstock? You know, what do we need to do? How do we con- change our control settings? So looking at all those sort of parameters, but now on a much bigger scale. So I no longer had a stopwatch. These things were humming and buzzing, like at a bigger oh, scale, right. uh, all automated, you know, if you- Any if, other women there? Were you working with other women or you didn't really notice or? Yes. So the thing about this mine was there was quite a number of women in chemical engineers. So oh, right. there was two Good. that were working with me at the time that had started their graduate programs as well. Um, mm-hmm. well they were in the graduate program. I was about five years into my career at the time. Uh, there was some people who were in the environmental side of things and safety typically always has lots of women in it. And, um, but yeah, so that was my, my and where circumference. Do you live? Where, where do you live when you're in a mining <laughs> town like that? I mean, yes. are you just surrounded by blokes? Oh, very much surrounded <laughs> by blokes, yet I couldn't find a decent bloke. Like it's strange, like you're surrounded <laughs> by thousands, but there was just no one who seemed worthy, you know, and you know, this, it was yep. a small town. So rumors were rife and the gossip was rich. So you didn't want to be caught up in the rumor mill. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there's all these sort of push pull, you know, you want to, you want your career, like literally 5,000 people. So you go to the Woolworths, you go to the supermarket, you see them, you see people <laughs> from work. All the people you, you know. You see them everywhere. There's only two pubs. 
in the whole town. And the accommodation, when I got there, there was a long waiting list for, um, you know, a house to open up. So essentially we were put in camp. So camp is where the dongers are. Have you heard of a donger? <laughs> no, it sounds rude. <laughs> What's a donger? It's like a, maybe like a six by four meter single room. Uh, oh, it's got okay. a single bed in it. It's got a, it's got a chair, a microwave, a TV, and a little shower and sink, a toilet and a sink. And essentially, that's your dwelling, a little ensuite. That's your room, your home, your place to call home. So right. And um, you go and to they the mess. And they put you up in those, did they? So that they, you got that as part of the package, I guess. Yes, yes. So that was free. Okay. Um, typically, only people who are fly in, fly out would stay in those locations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, while we were waiting for a house, we would, we had to stay in there and you get free food. So I suppose it's not too bad. Free food. There's a, there's a, um, cleaning service that comes two or three times a week, changes the doona covers and, you know, empties a bin. Oh, that's pretty does good. a bit of a vacuum. I mind one of those. But so <laughs> when you said we were waiting for a house, does, did the company find you a house as well? Yes. So there was a company housing list and essentially right. they had a number of houses in that town that were company houses and they only had a limited number. And I think they were going through a little bit of a boom, hadn't really, you know, scoped enough houses. So you essentially had like a three month wait, you know, until you could get a house. Okay. So okay. I spent three, three months, months, I think it was in that. Um, <laughs> and then, and then do you get put with other people in the house or are you renting it? Are you allowed it yourself or do you get sort of put together in a group? Yes. So you have to say what type of arrangements you have. So I was a single person at that time. So they gave me like a one bedroom house. Uh, okay. People who come with their families were obviously eligible for two, three, four bedroom, depending on the number of children that they have. Right. So that I was just love good. this. It sounds a bit, I grew up in the army and it's a little bit kind of a bit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so why did that come to an end? What, 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 oh, well, what, let me also ask you, do, at this stage, had you really encountered much racism or did you, did you find that people were just very friendly? I'm, I'm just sort of considering that you're a, you're a black woman who was in the desert with a whole lot of blokes <laughs> in a country that's not your own country. You're very brave. I'm just wondering how, whether that was challenging or whether you just kind of Ignored it. Certainly plenty of intersectionality moments that I had to reflect on over there, Jules. Like you're right, being black, being female, being a minority in the mining male-dominated industry was – They wouldn't have liked how <laughs> smart you were. <laughs> there was plenty of – yes. And, and that was one question I had when I moved to that town. I was like, are there going to be any black people here? And surprisingly, there was about – six or seven families and about five of those are from Zimbabwe. So that was quite. You're not so really, I was thinking there'd be, there'd be more Aboriginal people, but no. All well, Zimbabweans. I think there was quite a number of Aboriginal people there as well. Yeah. But I was particularly interested in how many African families would be around you. Like who, who like, because we have like Anybody African. Anybody will understand me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And just the, the creature comforts from home, you know, some of the food that we yeah. eat at home. Like they just, there's just something about being around others that, you know, gives you a sense of, of community. And they were there and I was surprised and shocked. So that was one lovely thing that I found. Um, yeah, lovely. People would come up with some, you know, pretty random comments sometimes, you know, sometimes the hair touching my, my hair. Like I found I had to like tone down my hair <laughs> um, <laughs> probably because I used to get so many questions about it and people would want to touch it. Oh my gosh, is this real? Is this what, you know? And, you know, I think it's more around being unaware. Like a lot of it, I had to just give grace course, and yes. educate around these matters because they've probably never really had black friends, never really had black women who've had different hairstyles like this. And it's more of a I question think you of probably asking. Hit the nail on the head. <laughs> but what did you do for hairdressing, speaking about yeah, that? I mean, were you, doing look, your, I were you and your Zimbabwean friends all doing each other's yeah, hair? Yeah, a couple or? of them were, were yeah. good at doing hair. I would escape to Adelaide very regularly <laughs> because right. I wanted to get back to some reality, some normalcy, shopping in, in particular. So when I was down there yeah. probably once or twice a month. Um, well, every probably every second month I'd get my hair sort of done. And things like braids, which I've got on right now, are really easy um, look to maintain because you just wake up and yes. shake and go. And they can probably stay in for your hair for quite a long time without right, much okay. maintenance. So, so those are the helps. types of um, <laughs> hairstyles I opted for. But you can't get too adventurous. Like I like to put like a top knot, maybe put it on a bun on my top of my head. But – 
you, then your helmet doesn't fit. So there's uh, right, <laughs> certain things that you have to worry about. I just suddenly had a vision of imagine if they made hard hats with like a um, <laughs> Marge opening. Simpson kind of, you know, so that you could put a big coil on top of your head. <laughs> that would be nice from a fashion sense. But when you think about helmets being there to protect your head from, yes, you know, heavy true. things falling on it and tissue cracking, then, you know, you think, okay, well, I may as well subdue my yeah. hairstyle for, you know, preference for safety. Right. <laughs> So did you meet a bloke when you were there or did you leave there and meet someone after that? Yes. So while I was there, look, there was, like I said, I was in a sea of many, but no one was good enough. (laughs) No no one, right. (laughs) At the, um, in the fourth year, I think it was the fourth year that I was there, I was in one of the two pubs that are present in that town and it was probably a Friday night and he was there dancing on the, (laughs) on the dance floor. He had some cool moves and I was like, who is this white guy with these moves? Okay. <laughs> so that was the first thing that made me notice him. And um, he also had the guts to come and talk to me, which is another nice thing. I think a lot of guys, I'm not sure, you know, probably all the things I mentioned before, black, female, smart, um, they just don't approach. They, they, they are worried. So I, he- think I, I reckon a, a big part of it from my experience of country towns is just being a female and being smart <laughs> automatically makes half of them terrified of you. <laughs> so a lot of that probably played into it. And at the time, I think I wasn't like a senior position at the mine at the time. So yeah, so he was quite ballsy that, well, that's what I thought to come to me and to want to dance. And then he was just, he stuck on me the whole night. And then he's like, oh, look, can I take you to breakfast tomorrow morning? And I was like, wow, no guy has ever asked me to go for breakfast. So that was really nice. <laughs> nice. And the next morning, sure no, enough. Was, did, he ask, did he ask to stay the night before the breakfast? No, he didn't, which I thought was also well, that's nice. that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. So the next morning, he came, knock, knock, knock. Um, hey, I'm here to take you to breakfast. So, you know, he was really ticking the, you know, the, the list. All the boxes. Yes. So uh, I guess the rest is history now. But an interesting fact is that that actually wasn't the first time we had met. I had gone a couple of weeks before to an indoor soccer, like a mixed indoor soccer at the sports club. And yeah. he was actually on my team. I didn't actually remember him. <laughs> I only remembered after he, <laughs> he mentioned it, but he was on my team and he was there trying to like coach me and trying to tell me how to kick the ball and which goal, like he was, you know, he was trying to school me on so soccer. So he had but, his eye on you since then. Yeah, he had his eye on me from then. And <laughs> he, was I, waiting, he was waiting for you to turn up at the pub. <laughs> Amazing. So what did you do after that job? So after, uh, where are you? So after Rocks. Yes. After Rocks, Rocks, after about five years there, the mine at that time, you know, the cycles of the industry, they went through a big downturn, did a lot of restructuring. And essentially I was um, offered a package at that time. So I took a redundancy, left the town with a pretty hefty bank balance and sort of decided what to do, what to do. And that's when I moved to Newcastle, back to where it all began um, with the company that I'm now with in a similar role. So that was pretty exciting. Uh, But it was a move now from mining to manufacturing. So as engineers, you can really transfer your skills across a number of industries. And this was, I suppose, the first time I'd had to do that in a very tangible way. <laughs> right. So you've been there ever since. And what what are you manufacturing now? What so manufacturing ammonium with? nitrate. So essentially, they're a global explosives company. The ammonium oh nitrate my is. God. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to say that. I make bombs for a living. Good bombs that are used right. in construction. Okay. That's pretty cool. <laughs> and underground blasting underground mines. Okay, so I suppose wow. mining services. And- and your partner came with you from yes. Roxby. He moved with me. However, he's still to this day working in South Australia. <laughs> so he's doing fly in, fly he out. He does fly in, fly out, week on, week right. off. Um, we moved to Melbourne in February of last year, just yeah. before COVID hit. And of course, Victoria, you're familiar, <laughs> had the massive <laughs> brunt familiar. of the you know, of the pandemic out of all of Australia. So we had our 111 days last year. He was stuck in South Australia for about 12 weeks and then another 10 week stint and another six week stint. So I was home with our three three year old at the time and just keeping things moving on this side. (laughs) God, but I'm still confused. So you said you joined the mining company that was in Newcastle, but you're doing it from Melbourne. Yes. So I've had two, this is my third role with this company now and right. my role now allowed me to move to Melbourne. My husband's family is from here. 
So he right. he uh, wanted to get back to his local surrounds, his friends' circle and parents. And, you know, now that we had a three-year-old yeah, child, enough. grandparents being in the vicinity was quite appealing. So made the move. So plenty of transitions. I think right. I'm the so transition queen now. <laughs> to get to know people and then you're locked in for most of the time. Oh, yes. So it's almost like you're a newbie still. Yeah, I think I sort of feel that. I haven't when people say, oh, let's go to, you know, Carlton. I'm still like, where's that? Is that near the city? <laughs> That's where. So I haven't had a chance to explore much of what Melbourne has to offer. But, um, um, you know, I'm sure we'll be here for a while. So plenty of time yeah, to do time that. Was <laughs> well, how amazing. Now talk to me a little bit about the coaching and what you're doing with the coaching and when that sort of sprung up. Yes. So actually, I'm very new to this industry, uh, coaching that is. Um, last yeah. year with the pandemic, as I mentioned, I had quite a lot of time on my hands. I'm currently doing a Tuesday to Friday at my job. So, yeah. you know, no husband at home, once the child's asleep, you know, plenty of time on my hands. And what COVID really helped me realize is that the internet is a beautiful <laughs> world of information, webinars, yeah. courses, um, self-development. I'm really interested in that sort of stuff. And so I really right. dove right in. I went into some coaching with a lady named Janine Jackson. She was fantastic, mm-hmm. helped me dive deep, understand what my passions are, what I want to see for women in this industry in particular, and really yeah. about what can I help? What are the things that were missing for me in my journey that I can now you know, pass on to our future engineers and those who aren't even maybe considering engineering? So what sort of age are you starting to coach I mean, so, are these girls? Yes, I'm coaching women in the industry now. So these are women who are already currently in the, in, in the industry, frustrated right. perhaps with their lack of visibility, feeling unheard, feeling like they haven't gotten to where they expected themselves to be by now. Um, but I've also been really focusing around the universities as well. So going there and doing some speaking engagements, talking to their children or the, 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 the girls really that are um, – in their second, third years, and really just in encouraging them to seek out experience as early as possible. I think it's one thing that the universities don't enforce or encourage. And a lot of them are so frustrated at the end of their degrees to find that there's, you know, there's a requirement, a prerequisite of experience in the industry um, right. that they haven't and fulfilled. Not that at uni. Right. Yeah. So, and I'm sure COVID probably stuck a spanner in the works for a lot of that, for a lot of the graduating students who probably missed out on their key um, year around that. So, really right. getting in there, trying to help them at the front end of their journey so they don't <laughs> lose heart quickly. Yeah. Because unfortunately, Jules, only about 12% of engineers in Australia right now are female. And lots of research shows that after five years, they've gone, they've, they've left the industry. So really wow, trying to address really? that I leaky pipeline. I didn't realize it was so small or oh. that it had that attrition rate. Mm. So it's really about right. how can we try and, first of all, get more women, I guess, from the front end. Like how do we inspire girls like right early on yeah. to, to you know, not think that engineering is for boys, it's dirty, it's only about cars and buildings and really smashing some of those myths and then empowering those women who have chosen it to continue on you know, power through and understand that, you know, yes, try one or two things at the beginning. You may not love it. Keep refining, keep, keep figuring out, keep finding your passion. Cause I think there's an expectation that what you get into is what you'll end up in and you're scared to move out of it. You're scared to try something new. And it's really about showing people that it's okay. Um, yeah. Well, that's part of why I do this because I find it absolutely fascinating. And I think people need to realize that to be successful uh, in one industry doesn't mean you started out that way or that you even, I mean, some of the girls didn't even finish school and yet have gone on to great success. And I know that there are women in certainly in the She's the Boss group who are sharing these podcasts with their daughters to get them all inspired. So So hopefully there'll be some young girls going, I want to do that. God, the way you describe it, I want to do it for heaven's sake. It's so inspiring (laughs) that you're showcasing all this, Jules. Like it's really so good. Like you can't be what you can't see. And I'm quite passionate about getting a whole lot of engineers around to really showcase their story. I mean, I've got a YouTube series called Chronicles of a Female Engineer. And that's where I do like a weekly episode around – 
you know, how do you build visibility in the workplace? Do you know that your boss, your boss doesn't notice you? Like you need to be proactive about self-promotion, telling people what you've been up to, telling people what your wins have been, you know, because people just don't know. People just care about themselves, right? So even your boss, even Absolutely. though he's meant to look after you, he's worried about himself managing up and maybe he's got six or seven others to worry about. So it's your job to present what you've been working on, to present the wins that you've had along the way, how you influenced someone to move from one train of thought to another, how you've been able to win over um, and achieve things in the workplace so that, you know, people have you front of mind because really that's how opportunity comes up. And a lot of what I find people complain about in engineering is the boys club. (laughs) <laughs> which I suppose sounds normal given it's male dominated industry. But when no, you look but into it, the boys club has, has got that other meaning, which is kind of that it's impenetrable and it's hard to get in. Yes. In and, there. Yes. And it's really around those little, um, you know, the little Friday night drinks that people go to after it work, is. you know, where that, the the, you know, the guard is left off and people start to chat about what they've been doing during the week. Right. And those That's are right. the elements or the times when, you know, some of these guys get into bosses ears, I guess, about what they've been doing, how they've been so yep. good, <laughs> you know, the fig jam piece. Um, or, or even just, I think also just so that people can get to know you because when you're just a person that's, you know, part of the team, but they don't really know anything about your background. They don't know, you know, it's the pub where you can get to understand people and start to form a bit of a bond. That's so true. And often girls, women don't like to go to the pub, but, you know, specifically, specifically if you're just the only woman in your team, like it's like, oh, do I really want to be there? Do I, you know, but that's where the action's happening. So really encouraging people to, to be a part of that conversation. If they're not going to be there on a Friday night drinks, find ways at the water cooler, find ways midweek lunch, just to share that, spread it, you know, drop little breadcrumbs around about what you're working on, how you are, um, and what you're looking to do eventually, right? So people keep you front of mind when opportunities come up. Yeah, that is great advice. I've always any and really any excuse for to go out and have a drink. Why not <laughs> be social? So <laughs> Say it's for work. Um, okay, so now some of the things that I, some of the questions I like to ask, I'll just ask you, and we'll see whether there are any ones. Are there any particular women that have helped you along the way in your career, which will be interesting because. Obviously, there wouldn't be a lot of role models for you. So um, I guess because this is a show all about women, I like to give people the opportunity to do a shout out if there are women out there helping people in the industry. So certainly, have there been any? Yes. So when I was in Roxby Downs um, in the last two years, there was a lady there by the name of Jennifer McKenzie. She was fantastic. She was hired as the general manager of the processing side, which is where I worked. And she was just a badass. Like if you imagine like someone who just didn't care about what the boys thought, she um, was very determined. She, she was also like, she showed me what was possible in terms of she had a fun side to her. So um, yeah, she was also someone who had very strict boundaries, very strict expectations. So it was really fun seeing those two sides of her. And like one memory that I remember was a big shutdown that we had, like, so shutdowns are when all the equipment sort of comes down, everything's off. You open up the big tanks, open up pumps and thousands of contractors come on site and fix everything. So it's sort of like a high risk period of time because people who aren't local to the mine are now on the mine and there's hazards and there's things. So as a leadership team, it's very important for people to be out and about looking and talking and just making sure people are safe and have everything that they need for the job. But she gave me this task for that shutdown. Um, It was a really long one and we had like the halfway mark and she wanted to do something, just break the ice, get everyone feeling connected again. And I had to choreograph a dance for the leadership team. (laughs) So I got Taylor Swift's song, Shake It Off. And I got the leadership team. (laughs) There was about eight of them, mostly men. I think there was like six men and me and Jen. (laughs) And um, we wore some really cool like neon, you know, headbands and some little things around us and like (laughs) some some shorts and random t-shirts. And we did the shake it off dance, you know, shake it off, shake it off. And I had to like, had to use the lyrics to make it memorable. (laughs) It was quite funny, but a lot of people had their like iPhones out and they're just like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like we've never seen anything like this, but just her vision to bring that, that, that vibe, that fun, that livelihood to it. I just thought, wow, it's really cool to see how leadership doesn't have to always be so gray. So, you know, so murky and boring and, you know, 
fine lines. So she You're really right. enlightened right. me on that. Um, and I was able to use my skills. I love dancing and I love being personable and open. And she, you know, let me use that <laughs> to my best of my abilities. She sounds um, fantastic. So that was lovely. Janine Jackson, she was another one I mentioned who I, um, she did some coaching for me last year, really delve into my why. And I've got this big vision to inspire girls to get into engineering and empower the women who are here to stay. So really this is what we are getting to from here now will be all surrounding that big mission statement, that big why impacting millions of women. Well, because great. I guess you should, you'll have to tap on the door of some of the companies that you've worked for and say, right, you need to sponsor something like this and, and you know, yes. start sending women to me so I can get them all excited about being in the I'll industry. I'll be very happy if something like that would happen <laughs> because it's so necessary. <laughs> well, I will cross so my important. fingers and toes for you. Yes. Yes. So these two, right. these two really come to mind. <laughs> yeah, no, they sound just fabulous. And, and really, particularly in your industry, I'm sure that it, it would really stand out when you have women that are not only great role models, Yes. Um, but also approachable. I mean, that's kind of, you know, because a lot of women who work in male-dominated industries tend to take on a lot of male characteristics mm. in order to get, you know, to the level that they yes. are. And they forget that fun side or the female side. So it's it sounds great. Okay, now you are working obviously quite hard and it sounds like your husband is in and out. How are you juggling work and life? I mean, do you have to do a lot of work after hours and on weekends? Or is that really time for the kids? Yes. So definitely the juggle is real. <laughs> um, with oh, my husband yeah. <laughs> being away, the saving grace has certainly been that daycare has still been present. I was deemed an essential worker last year when everything was thrown right. into shambles. So still being able to have him being in care was godsend. Um, so I have got my full-time job, which keeps me busy um, Tuesdays to Fridays. So days are definitely filled with my work. Mondays, Sundays, after hours is for my <laughs> coaching and my, for my women, creating content, creating right. videos and all the fun that comes with that side of life. And um, in between, obviously, you know, having some present time with my son, you know, giving, reading the books, doing yeah, part-time yeah, and all the, the juggles. So what I found helpful is routine. So really being in a position to just repeat the same things every day sort of takes out yes. the thought. <laughs> And it really, it gives the children a lot of comfort, I think, as well. I know mine, it was always bath, bottle, a bath, what was it? We'd feed them and then they'd go bath, bottle, yes. bed, and they just knew that routine. <coughs> and you could almost just give them a bottle and they'd start going, oh, well, I must be about to go to sleep then. <laughs> exactly. That, you know, that, it's kind of great. They sort of can preempt now what's next. So it really helps. He's at a good age, I think, where he's kind of sleeping now through the night. So that also helps in terms of being refreshed in the mornings. And then I've just got my online community. You know, I've got the phone, obviously, call my husband, see how he's been going. FaceTime has been a godsend, yeah. you know, show my little son, you know, my dad's, his dad's face and everything. So yes. being able to re retain connections and just. How long does your husband go for? So he's done week on, week off. It sort of came good okay. towards the end of November. Obviously, last week, um, Melbourne was thrown back into lockdown and because he's in yes. South Australia. So he's <laughs> been told not to come back to Victoria unless he wants to do two weeks of unpaid isolation. So he essentially he's oh, over right. there now. He was meant to be home right now, but he's not. So we'll just wait well, until he can return. <laughs> yeah, hopefully now that we've got no cases again, yes. they'll let him back soon. Okay, now here's one out of left field. Um, is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing? Ooh. <laughs> I have a feeling you'll probably have one. Quirky fact. Let's have a look. Hmm. What's interesting, I think the quirky fact about me is that I have been to a maximum security female prison. What do you mean? Why? <laughs> we didn't get into that part of the story, Jules, but um, yes. That Tell is me now. <laughs> I don't know if we should leave it for that or if that deserves a whole other episode. I'm going to write a book about it eventually. But um, there was a bad relationship there uh, before I met my husband in Sydney. Yeah. And essentially, do you want me to take you back on that story? Do you want to hear the deets? Yeah, yeah, do, do, do. <laughs> I'll try and do the short version. Um, I was doing fly in, fly out at the time and I went back and it was his birthday. And so I'd right. arranged, you know, a, a romantic weekend away. I think horse riding, quad biking, a cabin in the woods. And I was, I'd hired a car and I was driving and right. we made a pit stop. 
that would change everything. You see, he had agreed to pick up a, f- a parcel for his friend and we get to the shopping yeah. center and he didn't have his ID on him. So he asked, hey, right. can you pick it up? And obviously I've been driving. I've got my ID on me. I went on in. At the post office, the lady said they couldn't really find the package. There was lots of boxes in the back there and looked for it for a while. They couldn't find it. Said, hey, do you want to go get a coffee? I was like, yeah, yeah, no worries. So I went over, grabbed a cuppa, dreamed about the weekend that was, you know, ahead and then came back in and then eventually they'd found it. As I walked outside with this big parcel in my bag, in my hands, I was not greeted by my boyfriend. Instead, there were these two undercover police officers who were waiting for me. So not only had the package that I'd picked up, not only was it being tracked, but it contained illegal substances, drugs. Oh, Brenda. I was shocked. I mean, obviously, I, all I could see in front of me was a box. Like, I just thought this must be a yeah. big mistake, right? So, I mean, I went with them. I, co- co- I wasn't I cooperated, you. Went with them to the police station. Didn't plead the fifth or, you know, ask for the services of a lawyer. Just went in there and told them my story. But um, it wasn't enough. They said, look, we are unable to proceed. You're going to have to see the judge tomorrow. So, I spent the night in oh a detention center. And I was just like, what the hell? And ha- where is your, where's the boyfriend at this stage? He's just disappeared. He's disappeared. So, he was there that time. Um, he, they, he was taken and ferried off in a different car. He was shouting, making loud sounds. It's very strange behavior. And he left on his own. That's the last moment I saw him since then. So, he, he right. went in his own car. I went into mine. And essentially, that was the splitting of our um, parts, so to speak. The next morning, I, um, I was in the, still in the detention center. There was just a small little TV. A lady from legal aid contacted me and said, look, we're going to try to get bail. I was like, yes, please. That's what I need today. Very brief conversation. I was watching the screen in front of me, and the two words I remember were bail denied. I was like, what? Oh my God. Brenda. I was alone, Jules. I looked to the left, looked to the right. There's no one to even just sort of say, like, excuse me, what just happened? Like I had to I was ferried off, you know, the next person had to hear their matter. And I found myself being escorted oh, to Silverwater Prison, a maximum security jail in Sydney. And and oh my God, how did you get oh, out of that? You got it. Like what happened? So I would have been was so crazy. scared. Yeah, straight. I was afraid. Yeah. I was like, who can I trust in here? Who can I even tell that I'm an engineer with honors from? Yeah, you know, like who who who? What what is this place like? And obviously, I had to go through the process of you know contacting my family. Like that was the first thing I had to do. Bravely ask for help. Like call my brother and be like, look, I've. I'm in jail. Like, I need you to help me get a lawyer. We need to get out. I need to clear my name ASAP. And luckily, he yeah. managed to do that stuff for me. I called work oh. and told them, look, I've been embroiled in a legal battle and I'm going to have to be, I'm now going to try to fight for my name, essentially. And they said, look, you're still welcome. And did that, they, did they? Oh, isn't that, that good? was just amazing, Jules. Like that really is, you know, part of the foundation of why I'm giving back to the women in the industry, because that at a time when I was so helpless, really, <laughs> to be honest. But I mean, and they should have absolutely valued you because there is nobody that I've ever spoken to that's got a passion for engineering and what they're doing as much as you. And you obviously loved the company. Yes, so loved it. I'm so I glad, was so they, glad they gave me an opportunity. Um, after about six weeks in there, which was what it was in total. Six weeks? Six weeks. Not like a couple of days. Oh, the legal system. I don't want anyone to ever get embroiled in the legal system. I, I, I implore anyone who ever gets into any trouble to always ask for a lawyer. No comment is your friend because all the things I'd rattled off in that interview were now used against me. Like like they, they say they will against, be. Yeah. Well, I'm like you. I would. I would immediately go into. Let me be your best friend and tell yeah. you, like you, because you're going to help me with no, this. Not. And they used it all against you. And of course, they do lie. I mean, I have had situations with. Even it was just small things going through red lights and things, and and it's gone to court, yes. and the and the policeman's gone. She arced up about it, and she told us this, and I was like. <laughs> Never. Oh, it's so, terrible. Uh, yeah, it's so, scary. So, yes, several months in a trial court case, back forth, back forth, obviously on bail in the little town that I was in at the time. So, oh, after several Blazer. months, cleared my name, Jules. So, now it's in the rearview mirror. And really, I tell that story to let people know that the massive lesson is that your past doesn't determine your future. Like, no, not at all. Like, it takes a setback to create a comeback. And 
at any time in your life, you can rewrite that narrative and pursue Absolutely. your And also never go and pick up something that someone asks you to pick up if you don't know oh what's inside. Oh my gosh, inside. it was like literally two days ago, my husband oh. asked me to go pick up some shirts that he's bought from Connor. Um, he's like, oh, babe, can I get you to go pick up my shirts for me? I'll send you a letter to take to the post office. I was like, uh, uh <laughs> he's no. like, oh my gosh, I've just realized that you probably don't want to do that. I was like, sorry. Oh, <laughs> I don't know dear. if I can. I am so shocked. <laughs> so how did you get out in the end? Um, so yes, I think we had to obviously get up thousands and thousands of dollars in bail. I even cringe to think about the monies that were pulled together from left, right and center from the siblings, my parents, credit cards, um, got my lawyer, some, my lawyer had an application put in for bail, got out of bail. Um, and then I had to run a trial and then the, the jury found me not guilty. So I got out <laughs> and there's oh nothing on my, my you know, on my repertoire or anything now. So Really? No, and and neither should there be. I mean, really, you were just caught up. I'll tell you now, there is an amazing book that you should read. It's just a trashy novel, as in fiction, but it's called Shooting Elvis. And um, I've read it about three or four times. It's called Shooting Elvis, and it's about a girl who goes to the airport with her boyfriend and he asks her to drop off a package. And as she's walking out of the airport, she realizes it's a bomb and it explodes. And she goes on the run. <laughs> oh, it's really, it's really, it's like pulp fiction. It's really good. And what she does, she goes undercover. So she pierces everything and gets her hair into a mohawk and sort of goes, goes out to go and find this guy wow. that had done that to her. But wow, yours is pretty close. That's amazing. <laughs> I was going to, when you said I've been in a max, maximum security prison, I was going to say, when I lived in London, I lived inside the warden's flats at Brixton Prison. Oh. But I actually wasn't inside the walls' walls. Yes. Um, and I didn't realise it until I'd been there a couple of days. But this guy said that I'd met in Jamaica said, look, I've got a spare bedroom. You've got nowhere to stay. Come and I'll look after <laughs> you. No strings. And I thought, wow, this is great. And then when I couldn't get the keys, I rang him and said, where's the prison? Because I know you're there and I'll come and find you because I've lost my keys. And he went, no, no, I'll just pop over. And I said, what do you mean? And he said you're in the warden's flats. We're inside the prison. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> Could never get any taxis to get me home. No one. Some, no surprises there. <laughs> well, you are absolutely amazing. And what an interview. And that last little quirky fact, I'm so glad I asked it. <laughs> and I'm so glad you got out. And what an experience. Oh, certainly. Certainly. You. Well, look, I absolutely love everything you're doing. And if there's anything I can do to help you, I will absolutely do it. But I really appreciate you spending the time and telling me your story. If anybody wants to know about your coaching or to get hold of you, what's the best way to do that? Yes. So people can come and um, find me in the DMs on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. I'm just Brenda Denveston everywhere you can find me. And my website is www.brendadenveston.com. I am opening up my Purpose to Promotion program again shortly. So if people are interested in that or would like to just have a general chat about the industry, I am always available. Wonderful. Well, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Jules. Have a lovely day. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'sthebos.com.au. She's the boss.